Hello everybody, what is going on and welcome to Bevies with the Boys. Me and Dagda are the boys and we are joined tonight by two very special guests as we have some Bevies for ourselves. We're joined by Cajal and Ashley Kang. So we'll do a quick whip around as we always do at the start. If you guys just want to quickly introduce yourself, let us know what's going on in your life and let us know what you're drinking tonight. Cajal, do you want to kick us off? Sure, my name is Cajal. Uh, I play Jungle for XL in the LEC, but more recently you've seen me on the Analyst Task at Worlds or casting and... Uh... I got me a half liter Bex beer. Uh, can't go wrong with that. I got two of them, so I got a liter of beer. I'm good to go. <laughs> nice. Ashley, do you want to uh, give us a give us a little intro? Uh, hi guys. Uh, my name is Ashley Kang. I am a content creator back in South Korea. You usually see me on videos talking to players from the League of Legends Championship careers, and yeah, right now I'm just focused on doing a lot of content for 2020 World Championship. Nice yeah. to meet you guys. Maybe the busiest woman in the world. Um, do you want to let us know what you're drinking as well? Oh, sorry. Um, so I, when I realized that the theme of the podcast is, well, podcast, like video, is going to be drinking bevies, um, I ran to the nearest convenience store because I am in South Korea and I bought this lime-flavored soju for a euro. Exactly a euro. <laughs> Jesus. Very nice. Yeah. I'm jealous. Good choice. Right. <laughs> Hey, Dagda, do you want to go next? Yeah, so I'm Dagda. I'm the L one of the LPL commentators with Munch, and I'm going to be drinking the same as I had last time, which is the absolute mango-infused vodka. Um, and then I got a lime soda water to mix with it, so it looks a bit funky, but it's delicious. Respectable, <laughs> respectable. All right, I'm, uh, I'll am i go last. So I've gone very British this week, and I found British. some Iron Maiden-themed beer that's just covered in Union Jacks. Not only did I... Get that. They've also done a special edition Halloween version of it. So I've got <laughs> all kinds of ridiculous beer tonight. Fantastic. I like the way you try and say it like this is the first time you've gone British when like the last time you <laughs> I had like, Spitfire the other day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it says out the Brits do the best dark ale in the entire world. And I won't take any more comments on that topic. Um, <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about the World Championship because I think that's why we're all here. Um, so I feel like since we have an LEC representative here and an LCK representative here, we should start with the first semi-final that we saw. Um, Ashley Kang, you're already beaming just thinking about it. Do you want to, uh, do you want to tell us a little something about your boys' damn one? Uh, um, I don't know. Like It was a very hype matchup, Dumb Down versus um, G2. If you have been completely offline the last two weeks and haven't kept up with Reddit slash Twitter at all. Um, just to keep you updated that this was a rematch for 2019 quarterfinals um, between G2 and Damwon and the LCK rookies, um, so to speak, because Damwon is a team that is quite new to LCK as well as yeah. all the players being very young, um, seem to have taken the last Wells when they lost to G2 relatively personally and we saw that you know Damon not only came up with a good performance but quite a few BMs you know like emoting FPX yeah. and IG now and there but it was a it was a very interesting series and Tito actually managed to get one game out of Damon but in the end um, Damon came out victorious um, I was guess I guess that's the overview of it. Cajal, yeah. uh, how did the series go from your perspective over on the LEC analyst desk at the time because that must have been hard to watch <laughs> in the studio. <laughs> I have two theories. <laughs> first theory. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> the first theory is that Damwon played better because it was personal 
and G2 didn't feel like it was personal, but they still ran it down for some reason. I don't know why. I think G2 ran it down a bit. I don't think that one played that good. I think G2 just misplayed. Like, Mickey X on the Pantheon was completely sending it. <laughs> that was something. That, that was dirty as fuck. And then Caps was sending it in game four as well, getting solo killed. But I think if G2 in a, in a good performance, they would have won. My second theory is, if there was a crowd of 20,000 people, G2 oh. would have won. Interesting. That's my that's my controversial take. Why? Because, why? Like, why for example, that? last last year, right? Last year it was in mm. um, it was in Spain. I think it was in Spain. They played against each other, and there was like thirty thousand people screaming G two, and I think that one couldn't take it. <laughs> I mean, that's that's the thing though. G two had the home crowd advantage last time, right? Yeah. Whereas this time it would have been in China regardless. So, who knows which team the the Chinese fans would have been cheering for? Well, then the broadcast will be there, then I would be in the crowd. So I would scream. <laughs> <laughs> so I think it would still work. Uh, I don't know. It was, it was, uh, I don't know. I feel like the whole semifinals, every semifinal, if you pick red side and you pick Leona, you win. It's just like a hack, I think. It's like, you know, in the Xbox or something, when you go up, down, left, right, R1, R2. If you pick red side and you pick Leona, you can't lose. And that's what happened in this series and the other series too. Thank you. I just uh, want to. Oh, sorry, go on. I just want to. Take on that uh, Leona pick. I do believe that Leona is an extremely valid pick at the moment because it kind of forces the enemy AD carry to take a cleanse while there are so many spell choices in the bot lane right now. But it just looked like both G2 and Damon, and I think this was actually decided by G2 and Damon kind of followed it, wanted to pick very, very map impacting champions. I don't know what's like the best way to do it. Like, you know, I get the Twisted Fate is very like tier one champion at the moment, but we saw a very high contention for Twisted Fate compared to Suning versus Hess, where we even saw things like Azir. And I think Pantheon was another one like that, you know, hey, we want to move around the map as soon as possible, like shake things up around a bit, start skirmishes here and there. So I guess that was the reason behind Pantheon to pick and also trying to deny Barrel from Pantheon because mm -hmm. I think he was pretty much the first support player to play Pantheon support out of all the major regions. Yeah, we definitely saw it in LPL, but I have no like, idea if it was first or second or... They all played it very, very early on. Very early on. We saw it towards the latter half of summer in the LPL. Yeah, it's interesting, though, because, like, Mickey wasn't, like, historically bad on Pantheon. We saw Mickey play Pantheon before this game, and he, he was fine. Like, he, he played well, honestly. So it's kind of surprising to see... It didn't feel like it was, like, an issue of the guy can't play Pantheon. It felt more of an issue of... The team's not on the same page. He's going way more aggressive than everyone else is. Like it felt more like an issue of discoordination as opposed to an issue of the Pantheon picking of itself. Yeah, I felt that a lot throughout the series. Was like G two kind of were a bit all over the place. Where like if you look in game one, like Wondertaking those two terror shots in the top lane just kind of screwed Yankos quite a bit because he had to go fix top lane because he took two terror shots and Renekton against Gangplank. So Wonder then lost his lane. Yankos had to go help him. Then in game. Two, I think it was. They went for that early terror dive where Perks and Mickey both die in the terror dive. So yeah. all that advantages got over. And every single time they tried to do anything, Canyon's just free farming the whole time, and G2 would mess it up. And then Canyon's just like, "Great, I'm miles ahead, lads. I'm just gonna kick you out." <laughs> I also think uh, two things in game one, especially, was I think first of all G2 didn't expect Damon to play Hecarim. I think they, I think that kind of caught them off guard. And I think the second thing is the Lucian flex looked good on paper, and when I saw it in the draft, I was like, okay. It makes sense because you get a better mid matchup for Hags, for example. But you're playing Lucian Rakan 
uh, and this lane, or was it? What did they play? They played. Uh, was it Lushmarkan? I think they played in bot, or they played like they played like such a weak bot matchup. And uh, every game they were drafting like such you just like so weak bot matchups. And he was Lushmarkan versus Jin Leona or something. And I, I don't know how you can ever win this two v two. It's impossible. Like uh, I don't know why they don't draft a winning bot so Mickey can be unleashed on the map. Uh, I really didn't like the the support picks from G two throughout the games. The draft in general just felt like it put them on a timer. Whereas just like, they kind of realized, oh shit, we've got a mid-game comp, we just get outscaled. And then they just tried to force plays that just end up backfiring for a lot of it. Yeah. yeah so I'm just having a look at the, the draft for that one. They always draft the losing boss matchup. I hated it. Yeah, you're right. It was Lucian Rakan against Leona Jin. Yeah, so. that's right. Yeah, it was a rough one. So, like, this 2v2 is like, if Rakan W's in, he gets stunned and one-shotted, and then Lucian can never kill Leona, and then on top of that, perks went tier on Lucian, so you're FFing the lane when you're playing a, an early game AD carry, on top of having a scaling support, which is for teamfights, so neither of them kind of had any synergy, so I think if he picked something like Ezreal and put the Rakan, put, put the, the Lucian mid, so you have some pressure in the lane, then it's actually good, uh, but picking Lucian Rakan and not being able to all-in, mm -hmm. it's, yeah, just doesn't do much. But it's good against Ekrim, I guess. It, it was definitely a, a different take on the draft from G2. And I think it was interesting to see G2 trying to go for a different style in the draft, though, because I do think that's something that's been their strength historically, being able to go for a different style of gameplay, being able to kind of dig a little bit deeper than some of the other teams. Do you think that this was like an extension of that? Or do you think this was more just them trying to to find a small advantage in, in the short term as opposed to it being like a preempted plan or whatever? I think if you look historically at G2, they always have niche picks. Uh, and I think they try to innovate with the Lucian Flex, for example, or pulling out something like Akali Kindred or whatever it is <laughs> in game two. Uh, I mean, you know them, like they took down SKT with Pike Top. Uh, they took down half of Rift Rivals with Pike Jungle. Uh, <laughs> like they were playing major spot. But the problem is, I feel like the meta is so shrunk to four to five champs per every role. Where if you don't play a certain champ, like let's say you play Lucian AD or you play Syndra bot, you're going to get outscaled at three items against the Jin. Uh, so these champs, which are flexible, like Pike Top or whatever it is, for just taking people off guard, like these champs don't scale. And if you don't scale well in this meta, you're useless. Like if you pick early game champs, you fall off way too fast. So uh, yeah, I don't know. They just didn't have any like spark that could help them over the finish line, I think. Yeah, um, yeah and I think just throughout the games, the play was just not optimal, right? You had like a... Lucian Rakan lane, you had like a Perks, a, a Caps Zakali looked really shaky as well, sitting in a bush for one minute, uh, not doing anything. Cap? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Caps, sorry. Uh, I, yeah, I, really like, I will yeah. say, playing for the early game worked pretty well for Dan 1 in game number four. I think that's oh. uh, <laughs> the, the entire game oh. was the early game, in fact. Well, <laughs> yeah, that was a world record. That was a world <laughs> record. Oh. So I, let's, sorry, go on, Ashton. Uh, this is like a side thing, um, but Damon Gaming famously only played two best of fives against um, mm, Dragon X. other teams until the one with G2. And uh, both of those yeah, best of fives were against DRX. And we found a similar thing with DRX. Um, DRX felt like, hey, we simply could not give Damon Gaming any kind of early lead because this team is so good at snowballing and I don't have any information on like your know, scrim result etc but mm -hmm. like DRX also looked 
because I guess like, you know, they've been practicing against Diamond Gaming so much, like, you know, hey, we have to play off early game. And again and again, they seem to draft for the early game and they couldn't execute with those kind of comps, especially in this meta, you have to like execute it perfectly. Otherwise you fall behind and like the game just doesn't go as well as you had hoped for. And by what Kedro is describing and the frustration he has about drafts, I kind of, it could almost be predicted that G2 kind of fell in the same quandrum as DRX. Hey, like, you know, they have come to a decision maybe that they had to get an early game lead. Otherwise, you know, they couldn't win the game in any other way. Maybe, just maybe. It's just the same pattern that I noticed. The, the only things I heard from scrims was there was some memes going around saying, if you're going to scream down one, don't scream them two days in a row. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Oh yeah, there was Yankos who said that in the press conference before the semifinals. He was it was he was give, him giving advice to Larson. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, too, too brutal for the mental. I think that's hilarious <laughs> yeah. as well, actually, that you've got Damwon, who are the Korean scrim gods, and you got Suning, who are the LPL scrim gods. And now we have a final of both scrim gods have man <laughs> managed to transition that that scrim godness onto the stage. Normally, normally there's like players or teams which are actual scrim gods, but then on stage they are just terrible yeah. or like yeah. they're just really, really below their expectation. But it's interesting that both so, scrim gods are like the best. Teams. Sorry, go on, David. That's the problem now. You're going to end up coming in now, and everyone's going to be like, "See, I told you, scrims mean everything. They're going to mean everything." <laughs> yeah. But it's just like, no. Some teams have it on stage. Some teams have it in scrims. But this is like an, anom an anomaly where they both actually work together. Um, I'll tell you a secret. Sorry, to interrupt oh, you. I'll tell you a secret yeah. about our XL split. Mm -hmm. We had we had a week of scrims where we went to one and twenty four, and then we went two. And then we went two all on stage <laughs> <laughs> against against uh, I can't remember who it was and, and G two. So how was oh, wow. uh, fake data? What was the mentality like stepping onto the stage? Like on the the start of that first game when you're stepping on the stage, are you just like already in the mindset of this is doomed, or it is a really bad scrim week? Not that big of a deal to you. Well, it was online. It was this split, so we didn't actually go on stage. But I say wow. stage when I mean competitive game. It's my bad, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know. Yeah, just go with nothing to lose. And then we went 2-0. It was like, okay, nice. And then from then on, our scrim results came a lot better. It was like 56% win rate, which is fine. But that week was a horror. It was like, <laughs> I think it was a new patch, and we were trying out so many things, and nothing was working, and we were all getting mad. You start the week as best friends, and you finish the week like hating each other. <laughs> Yeah, then we went to O and everything was forgotten. So it was a banger week. It was like this. Their roller coaster was really like this. Yeah. Well, that's what they always say, isn't it? That like a winning team doesn't have many issues, like interpersonally, because it's kind of the ultimate, like band aid for the team of like if you're winning, everything's golden. Like the world is a better place, kind of thing. Yeah. Um. So I I want to actually ask since we've got the two scrim god teams in the finals, how much do you guys think? that is influenced by the fact that there is no crowds, by the fact that even though they're on stage, it's not the same, like kind of what you were alluding to earlier, Kedro, where these teams don't have audiences. Do you buy into the fact that some teams feed off of the audience and some teams don't? Or do you think that that's kind of a bit uh, superfluous? I think there is, uh, there is something behind the having an audience. <clears throat> I think that some players can crumble and some can like really shine. I don't know, it depends on the player. I think there's like three stages to an audience. You have like the players who choke it up and uh, they can't handle the pressure. You have players who don't really get affected and you have players who just completely clutch it uh, mm -hmm. when there's a stage. Uh, I think a good example of that is Perks. I think he's under pressure, like in a best of five with a crowd, he's completely unleashed um, and he plays out of his mind. 
Um, but I think it's just kind of sad that there was no stage or like, a, well, there was a stage, but there was no like real crowd because I think there's so many aspects of it, right? It's like the pressure of stepping on stage, being introduced, your setup feels different, the air is cool, like the stage is shaking when the crowd is screaming, uh, like you can hear the people screaming through people's mics, so you can hear it in your headset. So um, I don't know, it has an aspect to uh, to pressure, and I think that if it's it, it adds way more pressure than just having no crowd. So mm-hmm. I think people do get affected in certain ways. Is is the candle you're holding for DRX and Gen G, Ashley? <laughs> <laughs> um, should I want, should I send one to Kadriel so he can hold up for G two two? Okay, okay. <laughs> oh, everywhere I go, everywhere I go, it's, it's oh no, not me, please. Brutal, brutal. I have two for DRX and Gen G. So good one, Ashley. Good one, Ashley. I like that we have Ashley on this week. So then, if LPL loses next. Week we're totally in the clear. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. We're, we're hope, roast free. I hope sunning win though. I hope sunning win though. Now I'm on the sunning hype train. <laughs> Welcome aboard, mate. Welcome aboard. I happen to be the conductor. Um, so actually, I, I want to ask you as well. Like, do you because you've spoken to a lot of players? I feel like you've heard a lot of different perspectives. Is this yeah. something that you've got a, a vibe that this has influenced any of the players? The fact that there is no audience. The fact that they're even though they're playing on stage, it's not in that live environment quite in the same way do you feel like players have been affected have you heard anything that's like would it would suggest that or even the fact that they're in i assume a green screen arena must be kind of kind of weird <laughs> i remember asking nuguri about this i'm just i'm just trying to bring up the conversation um so i i also talked to kenyon about this like i think that the players themselves will tell you that you know they have have had enough stage experience because it, also in the LCK we play the majority of the games at Law Park and it is a big stadium like without the virtual screens and yeah. you have the casters there so I think like they will tell you themselves that hey like you know we have got enough stage experience that it doesn't impact us anymore but as Kedru is saying I do have think that it does have certain impact um yeah like you know diamond gaming they did not perform as well as their scrim expectations in 2019 worlds and perhaps nerves played some parts in it and like also like catering mentioned some players just love to step on this stage like you know reckless or perks or even players like faker so I will say it does play a certain aspect because it's such a huge, like I'm not a player myself, so I'm probably not the best person to, you know, give any observation of it, but it must be such a big thing to step on that stage and like, yeah. you know, realize just seeing audience in front of you and everyone, like, you know, it hits you. Everyone is watching my performance. And even when you hit wear the headphones, the players will tell me, Hey, when we make a big play and the crowd cheer, we can still hear them through the white nose, through the headphones, mm-hmm. and it has such a big impact on the performance. So I will say, I would say that it does have a certain impact. Yeah. I was yeah. just going to point out that as much as I love European teams, uh, I think a good example of this by just looking at facts is Madlines, right? So you look at Madlines in spring, on stage in the LEC, they were around six, seven place. They they just about made playoffs. The stage did disappear towards the end of the week. They made playoffs. They got third place. Mm-hmm. And then all of this splits, they, they came second in the regular season, no stage. Then they go to Worlds, and their scrims are going really good, is what we heard. Then they get on stage, and they just can't play. They're only, not even with a crowd, but just the fact they're on stage against these wildcard regions, they weren't performing, let's be honest. They were kind of running it a bit. And then the best of five, they played really bad as well. So 
it's a, it's sort of something to look at as a fact rather rather than like um kind of question it in a way. I just think that Mad Lions, for example, for me, when I especially when I played against them, I played against them in spring. I thought that on stage it didn't feel like they were as aggressive or performing as well. But then when it came mm-hmm. to online games, they really stepped up. It felt like uh, it wasn't like the biggest change for them going into summer. I think the coaching staff helped them a lot. But when it, when I played against them in spring versus summer, there was a massive change for me. It's quite interesting because um, back in LCK, we had DRX who ended up being LCK's second seed. And that team had a lot of rookies, you know, Doran, who haven't had that much stage experience. Koshik, who was like a streamer two months before he debuted. Um, Carrier, who was who literally turned 17 to play on stage. And DRX had a really good performance throughout this year. And people did wonder that having the audience and allowing the new younger players to adjust on the stage without having like those disruptions actually helped with DRX's success. But yeah, that's like a side topic. Mm. Interesting. Well, I want to, uh, I want to move the conversation on to the other semi-final because I do also want to roll around to talk about kind of expectations for the finals. And then maybe if we've got time, depending how long we go, maybe talk about some like roster swap rumors and things like that at the end of the show if uh, if we're feeling spicy but we'll have to wait and see um <laughs> so let's talk top esports and suiting because i'm not gonna lie that series even though i was completely correct on the prediction by the way i don't know if anyone <laughs> knows this but i got the prediction right um got this one waiver <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> um that was actually kind of an anticlimactic series I was really hoping for five games. I was really hoping for like long, like bloodthirsty games. We had really slow games to start the series off. And like Sooning looked amazing. Top Esports, I feel like underperformed pretty massively, right? I don't yeah. even think that's controversial to say. Like Jackalove especially kind of he kind of ran yeah. it down. I loved oh. I loved his nails. Uh, you look at his nails Twitter. His nails Twitter for like game one is just what the fuck is Jackie Love doing in like five <laughs> tweets? <laughs> Like highlight after highlight of Jackie Love flashing in and just dying instantly for no reason. <laughs> so like, I saw some stat and someone might need to confirm me on this, but Jackie Love picked Jin on the first game and he only used ult once in that entire game. Bruh. Wait, really? <laughs> wow. <laughs> uh, yeah, because he had like really low damage. He he didn't even hit 10k. Oh my god! Damn, and that's rare for Jackie Love. Yeah, like yeah, I might need to confirm it. Even when Jackie Love is inting, he still does like insane damage. That's that's the beauty of Jackie Love, right? That's the, always been his strength in the LPL is that like, sure he's gonna be super super aggressive in all situations, and sometimes it's gonna be pretty in. But he's always going to be topping the damage. He's always going to be mid-maxing. We saw his Senna when he first played it at Worlds, and everyone was like, oh, that's what Senna's meant to look like. That's how yeah. the, the damage is meant to come on through. It's like the duality of Jackie Love. I feel like we only saw the negative side, though, during the semi-final. I, I don't know. He died 2v2 to an Estriel. Then he died 2v2 with Kate and Lux into an Estriel again. And I don't know. Every lane he was drafting, it felt like he was losing, and team fights wasn't playing that good, I think. I don't know what happened yeah. there. How much of it do like, we think is is down to Jackie Love, and how much do we think is down to Juan Fong and Sword Art playing exceptionally? Like, where do you guys uh, sit on the debate the, of this was top being bad versus this was Sooning being good? Some of the plays that Jackie Love was making by himself, I don't know. Like, I know that a lot of this is going to get clicked on Weibo, etc. But <laughs> <laughs> it, it was just individually. 
it wasn't the Dracula that I was expecting. And, and this is mm-hmm. me talking as a person who watched the LPL finals live and I was watching Tess versus Jingdong Gaming and I'm like, oh my fucking god, this is like the clash of gods. Look at yeah. this birthday, like you know, super mechanical plays flashing everywhere, like you know, oh my god, look at this like knight, like you know, landing his old like I'm as an LCK fan, I'm scared. I'm really yeah. scared, and that's not the test that I saw on the stage. And from a person who does watch LPL and came to expect a lot from the LPL teams, this was not what I was expecting. Like you know, I know that Carcel was trying really his best, and Knight at times was usually trying to like you know look test by like the throat, and they're trying to drag them through the finish line, one v nineing. But yeah, I don't know, like yeah. Jackie Love and even the top lane is 369. Like, you know, it wasn't the test that we were expecting, and we had a very high expectation on tests coming into this world. Yeah. I think you can kind of hit a happy medium, right? Because I think, yes, we saw like Jackie Love flashing in at dragon fights and stuff, but Bin played well around it to go, like, oh crap, hang on, I can actually do something with this. And I think they were positioned well at a lot of those dragon fights as well, where they were finding flanks. And even the top esports knew where they were, they were still playing well around it or sorry Sooning were still playing well but i think yeah top esports just they didn't really respect them it felt like for a lot of it whereas just like okay well they're there but we're still going to skill check it but Sooning on the day were just outperforming them pretty much in every single team fight whether it was angel catching them with a zoe or the akali at the end of the day or we saw um juan fong looking amazing bin had a fantastic series and sofm was doing sofm things so i think overall that skill check the top esports usually go for they just failed miserably at yeah, I actually want to. Uh, I want to ask you specifically, Cajal, here about SOFM, and especially in the context of him going against Canyon, because obviously you're you're kind of the resident jungle expert here. Everyone always says that SOFM is like a totally different style of jungler to everyone else. Like he 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 seems to look I at the game him. in a different way. Like, <laughs> can you kind of like uh, explain that a little bit if if you if you share that same opinion or or debunk that a little bit if you're against that opinion? I was talking to Frosk about this last week, and she said um, he, she said something to him apparently, or he said something regarding the fact that he every game he goes into the game and he thinks about jungle and he wants to make the perfect jungle pathing humanly possible in every game, and that's all he thinks about. And I was watching his um, some of his pro views and stuff, and this guy's this guy's efficiency in farming is it's disturbing. Like he's <laughs> always, 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 always clearing his camps perfectly, and. I don't know, he's so cocky. I've never seen a Jarvan or, or a Lee Sin just literally walk up to someone and just stand still and just look at them in the eyes. Oh my god, yeah. that yeah. is like, like two alpha. minutes. Yeah. Oh my god. He, he's so alpha, and then uh, on top of it, I just think he plays teamfights so good. Like, <clears throat> he's so good at identifying, for example, on Lee Sin, like, in one of the dragon fights, he identifies, well, um, Jackie Love's pretty much dead in this fight. Even though Jackie Love's 5-0, I could go on him and kill him, but I'll go on uh, I'll go on uh, Knight instead, and just the way he plays his kicks are just so crazy good, and I don't know. Uh, his champion pool is really good. He's uh, he's a pretty good jungler. I think the only weakness he has is he doesn't gank as much. But then even coming into the series against top esports, he just spam gank top, got the Wukong so far ahead. Uh, three six nine Jace looked a bit uh, like an NA Jace in that game, uh, and then they just kind of carried from top side. So um, I don't know. Going up against Canyon, Canyon also looks like I was watching his pro views too. The weird thing I don't think weird thing about Canyon is I feel like he has a map pack. I don't know why. But it, it, when he plays, <laughs> it feels like he has a map pack. Because I watched the pro view, and this guy never uses his F keys or looks at any lane, maybe once every minute. But he still knows how the lanes are going. And oh, they circle right a lot. Time. That one circles a lot. 
Oh, okay. Well, they have a map hack, I'm convinced. <laughs> <laughs> so you've got one jungler who's uh, god efficiency, and you've got one jungler with a map hack, so I don't know who's going to win. Um. Fun fact. Um, for viewers who aren't familiar with it, there is a challenge called... Is it Ning Challenge or Sopham Challenge? Yeah, it's a Ning Challenge, right? It's a Ning Challenge, yeah. and then, like, you know, like, Ning was very, very slow at clearing jungle camps, yeah. and other junglers came in and tried to beat Ning's record for it, and I think Sofam actually won that challenge. That wouldn't surprise me it's at all. Because I wasn't there. I, even <laughs> even uh, even Rookie did the challenge. Yeah. Which is obviously oh, Ning's and mid beat Ning's record. Yeah, oh <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's pretty brutal. I, just, I actually want to... Sorry, go on. Go on. Yeah, uh, I, just, I just wanted to clarify this. I, I'm pretty sure that Sofam won that eventual challenge. That's wouldn't surprise me. Yeah, it was a PV master. It that doesn't surprise World me. Warcraft all, yeah. so much, I'm sure of it. <laughs> He's challenging gonna, wonder at this point. I'm just going to try, try to scout him for <laughs> stand by the ball and yeah. try to talk to Sofa. They've got to have something to do with the offseason, right? <laughs> <laughs> so I, I kind of want to say circle back on something that you, you mentioned there, Cage, or the, the alpha moves that SOFM was making. Because let's just take a moment and appreciate the two minutes. That he dedicated. I don't know if you guys saw the pro view clip uh, of SOFM literally dedicating like a solid two minutes to making sure Jackie Love and Yuyancha can't recall. And it's like literally his sole task for a solid two minutes into the game it, to the point where he's like walking up. The tier one is still available and he's like walking up to the tier two to throw a flag at Jackie so that he could continuously not recall so they could secure the bot tier one. And that is like. In terms of jungle efficiency, probably not optimal, right? But in terms of like game efficiency, being able to guarantee the the tier one in that way, like it's such a creative way to to change the way the game is being played. And I think that's one of the things SOFM brings that it's kind of hard to it's not very tangible, but he seems like such a he just always seems to have a weird solution that's a bit outside of the box, but he'll find a way to make whatever it is he's doing efficient in some way. But I think that's been the cool thing about SOFM is like, if you look at him from spring, like we didn't rate him as a jungler at all because like literally what Cadro said was, you know, he's alpha, his engages are great. Like his engages were shite back in spring. Like he was horrific. <laughs> you couldn't get him to go in at all. Um, he would mess them up if he did go in. It felt like they were pussyfooting around <clears throat> dragon fights all the time. It wouldn't do anything. So I love the growth that we've seen from this guy over the course of the year where now he is much more confident his engages. He's doing these creative, cool plays that are actually making big advantages for Sooning. Um, and now you actually get to talk about this, oh yeah, crazy jungle efficiency, how good he is at farming, rather than, oh well, you're supposed to be doing Dragon but or Rift Herald, but SOFM's on the other side of the map clearing a camp. Like You're actually getting to see what he is capable of now that he's able, I don't know if it's a team thing or whatever the way the team environment has changed up this split, but whatever it is, like he's progressively got so much better over summer, but he's 10 times better than he was ever in spring. Mm. I mean, I, I remember we were looking at the stats before the game against Top Esports, and uh, Karza had like the second highest kill assist at 15, whereas SOFM had the lowest, and then SOFM had the highest CSD at 15, and Karza had one of the lowest, and you could see like, okay, these are two different jungles, but I'm convinced that SOFM was watching Hillisang's pro view in that bot two minutes thing, because Hillisang does the same thing, except Hillisang will die for it. Um, SOFM was a bit more controlled than this. Hillisang will chase you to your tier 3, level 5, and he'll hook you on your tier 3 to make sure you cancel your base and die for it, and then make you have to cancel your base again to kill him, and then base, and then run spot. So, uh, yeah, SOFM is a bit of a tempo genius. He knows that if he keeps cancelling them, 
I don't know. I think it's just disrespect from top esports. You just have to stand at your tower and base, or run to your run to your nexus if you have to. Like, it's better than just sitting there getting recall cancelled ten times in a row every eight yeah. seconds, wasting two minutes, not catching waves, losing plates. Like, he is a king of efficiency, and that was mega mega efficient. I think even dying for it there was worth it. After the two minutes. So you're saying SFM didn't commit hard enough. You would have gone all the way to the Nexus if that was necessary. Yeah, just chase him to the Nexus. <laughs> and then your bot lane just your bot lane is laning two versus zero, hitting the plates, plus one sixty gold every like fifteen yeah. seconds, pushing in waves which are like two hundred and fifty gold each. So they're just they're just gaining like four hundred gold every minute that you're wasting their time. When they're losing like two hundred gold every minute that you're wasting their time because they can't catch the waves. So I don't know, he must have it in his head. He knew that if he keeps cancelling them then it's a timer until they are going to get back to the lane, and then every time they were cancelled, the timer kept going up. So, yeah, yeah. tempo genius. I like it. I like it a lot. All right, let's uh, let's talk a little bit about the mid lane though, because I think uh, there were some surprises in the mid lane in this series. First of all, Angel leveling up in a huge way. Like we've seen Angel have exceptional games across the year, but it's been like few and far between. In this series, he looked consistent and he looked fantastic. His Akali is basically something that I don't I don't have the stats on how many times he played it in the LPL, but when I think of Angel, I don't think of Akali. You know, it once is it? Once in spring, the sec the second one was against whatever team it was that he's playing. G2. On the G two, yeah, I thought yeah, G two, yeah, and then the third one was this one. It's yeah, he just like pulls it out of nowhere, and suddenly he's like, "Hey, by the way, I'm a fantastic Akali. I'm going to take over the game." Like Angel has leveled up, but also on the other side, Knight had a pretty quiet series. Like I don't think Knight played badly, but it certainly wasn't like. When you consider the hype around Knight coming into the tournament, the kind of the expectation of Knight that was built up was kind of he's going to one be nine every single game, and that was not the level of performance we saw out of Knight in the mid lane, unfortunately. I I think Knight got a little bit done dirty, to be honest. I think everyone's kind of talking about him going, oh well, you know, he didn't hard carry this game. But if you look at like the Oriana game specifically, there was a couple of times where he got like these fantastic shockwaves where he'd nearly kill off SOFM and Kindred, the Kindred would just about get the ult off. And you're like, okay, cool. Now you can do some stuff with this. You've got two people off the map. And then you see Jackie Love just arcane shift over the wall and die one for one. Like there was plenty of times where they could have made advantages off of these plays that Knight was making, but it felt like the rest of the team was kind of falling apart around them. So I think definitely there was a little bit of, I think Knight could have had more moments to shine, but I definitely don't think he's been put forward correctly with the impact that he had. I mean, he played three Oriana games in a row. <laughs> he was really jailed by his coach, I think. I mean, the Echo game he played, he was popping off, but the problem was enemy Jax was 15-0, so he couldn't really match him on side lane. So he had to rely on himself to smurf the team fights. but then Karsa kind of put the handcuffs on him and said, I'm going to lose this game real quick, and then tried to dive Jax. <laughs> uh, on a tier one, uh, so yeah, he definitely got he got jailed in that game. And then the other games, like his Oriana was fine. The problem with Oriana is you're buying a tier and you're waiting till 25 minutes, 30 minutes, three items, and then you're gonna carry. But this team was griefing it before that, so I would have liked to have seen Knight on some more proactive champs. Maybe something like Akali, which he played in the group stage. Even though his Akali in the group stage looks shaky, or Zoe as well, yeah, yeah. something you can actually do something because Oriana is all about peeling for your tanks and then waiting for them to step too far forwards, popping a shockwave and killing everyone. Um, but if enemy team is playing like Jax or Zoe or Akali, it's impossible to hit these champs with a shockwave. Um, and they're also playing loads of Ezreal against them as well. So it's not like they had like an Ash or uh, an Azir in the backline, mm-hmm. barring game one, obviously. But it's not like he could really do much with his ult. So, uh, I mean, it must have been scrim results. I think that's the only real thing I can guess. Like, he must have been scrimming with Oriana. 
and it looked broken in scrims. And then he thought, oh, let's just pick Orion every game. Uh, same kind of thing with the Galio. Like the Galio, he didn't play it, but in the group stage and some of the quarterfinals games, I think Galio was considered OP because you just pick Predator and you just run bot and get a double kill. But on stage, the, realis the realism is that you're stuck on your tower down 30 CS and you're useless. So that champ fell off quite quickly. And I think Orianna was not as proactive as it should be uh, for a player like Knight. Just completely going off the tangent, um, I was listening to the Korean cast for the test versus Sooning because the shy was like the guest commentator. <laughs> yeah. Maybe the least oh self-aware player in the history of the world. <laughs> he's like he's raging at every single like wrong moves at top like the top laner is making, and all he talks about is top lane, by the way. And like I think it was Caster Kim who actually commented out, you're the person who plays in the LPR and makes all these weird moves. But the shy is like, yeah, I only go in when there is a good angle for it. I'm like, oh my fucking <laughs> I respect it. Just go forward. <laughs> And my favorite reply, I saw that on Twitter, my favorite reply was from Emily, and she basically said, I'd love to watch him commentate a game of his without the nameplates on and see what he said, because I would honestly pay good money to see that. But he was like, like commenting on nice choice of tier, saying that, oh, this is too late game facing, and like, you know, I'm used to rookie, I'm used to early game aggression, like, you know, or Rihanna, like, you know, maybe could have gone with, like, you know, something more AS, but, you know, I just, like, thought of that. It was a funny. Yeah. yeah. No, I, it's definitely... What a legend. I think if, uh, if you're used to having rookie in the mid lane, no matter who your mid laner is other than rookie, you're going to be pretty much complaining and saying, this guy's not doing enough, because... Like, let's be real here. Rookie kind of has a little bit more than his fair share of burden on that team. Especially, especially on Oriana. Especially on Oriana. Rookie's yeah. Oriana is like, oh my it's God. It's something yeah. else, man. I, I think there's players that when they know the game is in a losing scenario, they will flip it 10 times in a row and every flip gets worse for, in their favor. So the first one might be a 50-50, but the next one after that, if they lost it, it's a 40-60, then it just goes downhill from there. Yeah. And Shy, the Shy is the perfect example of that. Like... <laughs> If the game's being lost, he'll all in and flip it and die and die 10 times in a row trying to make it work. And if it doesn't work, the game's over. But if he never tried it in the first place, the game's over anyway. So that's what <laughs> I love about it. Is it the clear love meme that's like, I'm ahead, therefore we should fight? Oh, yeah. No, yeah. it's MLXG. MLXG. Oh, it's MLXG. <laughs> it is absolutely MLXG. <laughs> I love those players. Yeah, I do as well. There was, uh, there was, one, there was a clip from the LPL. Uh, I want to say it was Curse, but it could have been the Shy, honestly. Uh, where they're on Aatrox, and like the game is so beyond gone at this point. Or was it natural? I think it was natural. They're, like they, yeah. they've been playing final game, but the rest of the team has kind of run it down. And half their team is dead, half their team's in base. They're totally alone. They walk behind the Baron pit where there are four members of the enemy team and just go all in on a player, die immediately. It was just like... I think it's natural, but he TP'd in. Like, he <laughs> oh, TP'd into four people. And then was just like, I don't know what you expected there, buddy. It's like, you know, this is the kind of play that's like maybe a 1% play, but if you pull that up, you're an LPL legend forever. I, I think lots of players have that symptom of just just ordering and flipping it, but some players have the symptom stronger than others. Like, you have Caps, who has a little bit of that symptom. He does it now and then. Humanoid does it as well. Uh, Perks tends to do it too, Wunder as well. But then you have like the LPL players who who have a real big injection of that symptom, like the Shy, for example. Uh, I love the cannon just going 110 if he has to, just keep going. If he knows he's going to get dove, then dive me. Then dive me. You have to play it perfectly. If you do it, I'll die. Sure, kill me. But if you don't, the game's lost. 
That's it's like this, this ridiculous thing. It's like the global threat of Teemo, right? Where it's like yeah. uh, the global taunt. It's like, you have to dive me. You know you have to dive me. Come yeah, on. It's in there. You have to get in their heads sometimes if you're losing. And that's how you do it. Just like SOFM, when he's ahead, he just gets in your head. He just stands there and he looks at you in the eyes with Jarvan. He says, if you walk up, uh, I'm going to EQ. <laughs> but he never EQs. <laughs> so you're also like, oh, maybe he's never going to do it. And then you walk up and you're just dead. So. <laughs> I like, I actually do appreciate the whole LPL mentality because this was also something that I saw a lot of players who are who were solo queuing in the Chinese server saying that hey the in the Chinese server people tend to go in even at 40 60 30 70 because they believe because they have the pure skill they can you know come out favorable on their particular you know trade and that's like that's simply like the Chinese mentality and I guess I appreciate it because that's something that LCK has often been commented on lacking um Again, going back to guest commentators in the Korean broadcast, Rookie was on the Korean broadcast this some time ago, and of course, you know he's Korean, but at the same time, he's an LPL player, and he said something that kind of stuck with me. Like, yeah, like they're trying something drastic and they're throwing, but you have to throw enough to know how to make a super play. Otherwise, you don't know how to make a super play. And there was a really LPL quote, but it also kind of has this make sense in a little way i don't know how it's, to say it's it, like but... the it's the higher level of limit testing right <laughs> yeah, if you don't yeah, throw yeah. enough games you don't know how to make the play that limit doesn't test. throw the game yeah that, that's yeah, yeah, exactly. floating around europe as well the, the term super play it's like when the game is lost just flip it and it's called the super play and if it works then you're back in it and if it doesn't then the game ends faster so it's a win-win <laughs> <laughs> if it doesn't work then you go home and get some pizza <laughs> yeah because that's the thing, if the team has all your tier 2s and uh, they're setting up for Baron and you're like 5k gold down, there's like a 90% chance this game's lost. But if you have a, if you take a fight which is like 30-70 in your favor, so you have a 30% chance, it's better than just sitting as your towers farming when the game's on a 90% lose chance. So uh, yeah, sometimes you just have to all in, try the super play and then it doesn't work and you try it. And you can at least lose the game while trying. So that's why you see teams like uh, G2 or uh, LPL teams will make a game snowball out of control sometimes because they're just flipping it. Whereas I think LCK and historically, as as a region, they never really wanted to. You know, if the game's really bad, they will just slow it down as much as possible, put the brakes on, try and farm up, and then keep going. But then I think over the last couple of years, they got a lot more aggressive. I will say, as a spectator, it frustrates me when you see the team with worse scaling just playing as slow as possible because they're behind and like maybe we'll scale into this one, like praying that the enemy yeah. just completely throws for like fifty minutes, and it's like, oh god, just. Can we just play the next game? I just want to watch something interesting. Oh god, I'm losing my mind. <laughs> I've seen that so many times. It's yeah. uh yeah, that's something. But hey, I'm in the LPL, so we don't see that very often, let's be honest. Um so let's talk about the finals here. Let's actually uh... that's a lie. One of the top esports sunning games, I was really falling asleep in the first fifteen minutes. Yeah, right. But I will say I've seen that a bit in LPL best of fives. The first couple of games, it always feels like they're kind of warming into it. It feels like they're kind of taking some baby steps, like testing the waters a little bit. It always feels like they're a little tentative at the start, and the longer the series goes on, the more bloodthirsty it gets, with some exclusions, because there have definitely been just some pure bloodbaths. Because like the last year's IG versus FPX, it was super interesting and it was an absolute bloodbath, if I remember correctly. And like this one, I don't know. <laughs> uh, yeah, I just had a lot of expectations, especially yeah. for Tez. I guess maybe that's why. Yeah, I, I think Tez is the least like LPL 
LPL team when it comes to that stuff specifically, because like when you really? look at them at MSC, for example, they actively chose to go, hey, we're not going to fight all the time at the other game. We're, we're quite happy to go late game and, and go for the team fighting style. We have seen them play the more LPL style, but we have seen them in international tournaments opt out of that style and go, hey, we're going to play for late game team fights. We're not going to go crazy in the other game. I wonder how much of that is Carcer, because even though Carcer is really versatile, he like he does also excel in like more helping jungler, so to speak, rather than being like an active mm-hmm. carry. Maybe the sure. most helpful jungler. Think... Um, all right, let's talk I about the finals. Just, just oh, on that point, real quick, there. I think Jackie Love is the the shot caller for that. So I have a theory mm-hmm. that like Jackie Love just fell behind and then was like, "Oh shit, let's not do fucking anything." So I think uh, I think a little bit of that was kind of coming from him, where he's just like, "I'm behind, we're behind, let's not do anything." But even then, it was just when you saw him in team fights, he was just like gung ho. So I don't know how he was. He was ahead in game is. one. In the first game of the series, Jackie have got a lead in the lane, if I remember yeah. correctly. Um, but it, yeah, either he was way, three zero. Yeah, it, it's pure speculation at this point. But um, yeah, unfortunate for top esports, they don't make it to the final. But that does mean that Sooning do. Ha <laughs> ha. Um, so we have Sooning versus Damwon as the finals. Scrum Gods against Scrum Gods. And I've spoken to a few people about this at, at this point. And there are there are some people that are aboard the Sooning hype train and believe this is going to be an amazing series. And then there is everyone else who believes this is going to be a Damwon 3-0. So I don't, where do you guys stand on this? Because I need some reinforcements here. Because I feel like it's a losing battle at this point in terms. Of How many of those people you talked to about Sunin winning were just yourself in the mirror convincing yourself? They're, they're my acolytes, <laughs> the people that I've managed to to convert at this point. <laughs> Dagda, what's your expectation? We'll start with you. Um, I don't know. I feel, I feel like Damwon are definitely the favored. Um, like unless Sunin, like one of the things from Sunin in the summer season was they could be adaptable so they could like play a very different style based on who they were fighting and we talk about it a lot like that v5 series where they just looked like a different beast super aggressive playing so so aggro and getting a bunch of kills in the early stages mm-hmm. we saw it a little bit from sofm this um this semi-final as well and i think when i look at damwon the way to beat them is maybe i'm falling into the same trap as g2 and drx but they if you can make those early plays work, like the early ganks, you can get a lead. And that's where you seem to be able to beat Damwon. But I think if Sunni end up playing this slow-paced style, which is kind of more their bread and butter, I think they're going to end up just getting to the late game. And that's where Sunni's mid-game shot calling is good. Their late, late-game shot calling is not so hot because it is a relatively new squad. And I think Damwon will just eat them at that stage. All right, so Dan one favored in the late game. Where do you, Ashley Cajor, where do you guys sit on this one? Because I'm Ashley, for you, I'm going to assume this is going to be Dan one favored, right? I feel like I feel like you kind of have to be Dan one favored at this point. I think like I tweeted about this, but something that people need to think about is you know throughout Worlds, and I know that a lot of people don't necessarily watch the LCK and only know Dan one from their Worlds performance. Think of Damwon as a team that plays stably and towards the late game, towards the team fights. Because, you know, at Wells, often they play quite clinically and they try to get the objectives and slow, usually usually more Herald, you know, Drake's, I think, um, and then kind of slow more off there. But Damwon, definitely throughout 2019 and also in the majority of 2020, 
wasn't a team like that. This was a team that was considered like the LPL team that randomly got dropped in the LCK, a team with muscle back in 2019 without a muscle, without a brain, so to speak, you know, they brute force their way through skirmishes all the way into the Nexus by big Nuguri playing their top carry champions all, all the time. You know, Showmaker being a really, really good laner and Canyon also being really gifted mechanically. And it was only sometime in the middle of 2020 summer split the Diamonds actually started diversifying their playstyle. We see it in the 2020 summer split finals when Diamond suddenly decided to play Orin top Nuguri, which and everyone just kind of lost their shit because, oh my god, Nuguri is playing Orin? What the fuck is this timeline? Because he's all, always like, you know, playing things like Camille and Chase and stuff like that. So Diamond started diversifying their playstyle quite closely to Worlds. And I guess that's because they decided that that specific play style is the best for Worlds at the moment. But from my experience, they can play other styles and definitely the early game skirmish style. And I think they'll simply decide what way is the best to tackle against Sooning mm-hmm. and kind of go from there. So I'll yeah, I'll be quite surprised if if Damon decides that hey Sunny is gonna try to play for early aggression and they try to match it, I think Dam can actually go toe to toe on that too. It's it's kind of funny to me that you mentioned the own, by the way, because that is the exact same topic for Bin. Like we saw <laughs> Bin play on in their semi-final. It was like what? Oh, we lost that shit. What? Yeah, it's like why, why, why? <laughs> like this is Bin. He doesn't play on. He doesn't play tanks. He plays carries. Like that's all he does. Yeah. That's what he does. Just let him do that. And it's I feel like after playing, on was like a hundred percent pick ban, a hundred percent win rate. And then now we get to the world finals. It's like just stay away from on, please, guys. Like we don't want to see it. Like let's let's just play carry top loaders. This it's the way forward, I think. <laughs> That's the thing about Nuguri. I think, like, it's quite funny because Bin says, I'm not like the shy, but he really feels like the shy sometimes. <laughs> Honestly, Dan won't feel like the IG of, of the LCK oh. in my mind. Like, it's super, super. There's a lot of parallels there between those two teams, in my opinion. Oh, but they, I think the Damon actually can play a bit smart, smarter and they tend to move better as a team. IG felt more raw, especially mm-hmm. in the. <laughs> Ning was very, very. Cool. I feel like that's almost a choice on IG's part, where it feels like they kind of don't want to be super serious. But I don't know. That's speculation on my part. Kajal, uh, I am interested to hear your take on this as well, though. Um, where, where are you sitting, like at the start of the conversation here with uh, Damwon and Suni? I don't know. I've been thinking about it a lot, actually. I don't know. I feel like Damwon is. It has. They have no weaknesses. It kind of pisses me off sometimes. I can't find any holes in their play. <laughs> I think that, I think that um, I think that this game will be decided. First of all, I think draft will be so important in this series because I think that if Canyon if Canyon gets a winning jungle matchup and they get a winning bot matchup, then I think the game is already over. Kind of. I think if you saw that in the drafts, like the way they draft against G two, that one was so good. Like they realized Leona was OP, and then they started blind picking Caitlyn and then forcing them to not pick Leona because then they can go Caitlyn Morgana and then you can't lane. So they are. The thing is, they they also have champion oceans. Like they have Lulu top Orn, they have carries, they have uh, playmaking mids, they have supportive mids, they have roaming supports, they have laning supports. So they have big champion oceans. So I think if if Sonic can get a good draft and a really good jungle matchup for SOFM, I think they're in a good spot. 
Uh, I also think that team fighting. I think Sunning is really, really, really strong right now. So I think that if it comes to team fights, then I think Sunning will be fine because you saw it against Top Esports in the first game. They were down like 4k gold. They were down two Drakes. Uh, it kind of sucked for them, but they scaled and they won the fight. So they know their win conditions pretty well. So I don't know. I kind of want Sunning to win because I want Sword Art to win Worlds because it's a really good anime story arc and I really like it. Um, and Damon just stomping everyone and winning and not losing, like losing one game throughout the whole tournament would be a bit boring. <laughs> they lost. Uh, they dropped a game against G2. Okay, they lost two. They lost two games. Yeah, also against JDG. Yeah, so they would lose two games for the whole tournament if they 3-0 the finals. That's I don't like that. I, want I will stop. say, if Damon wins in a convincing fashion, it is going to feel like LCK is back. Isn't it? Yeah. Because when you think about <laughs> when you think about the way that LCK has won world championships in the past, it's been brutal, man. Like there have been multiple LCK teams that came to the world championship. Like, yep, yeah, we're here. Nobody can beat us. All right, there's a world championship. See you next year. <laughs> you know. I think a way Damon can make a mistake is if they leave Camille open and then they give Camille to any team without first picking it and focusing on the champs. Because I think that. You saw in game two versus G2, they didn't really have an answer to Camille. Nugri pulls out his Fiora, and it was a bit cringe. Um, I think I Nugri wanted to... a Fiora skin. That's why. Uh, my... Yeah, <laughs> I saw that on Twitter as well. I saw a couple of people say that. Yeah, and things like Jax as well, he could pull out if he wants to into the Camille. But I think that um, just dropping certain champs like giving SFM Nidalee or Graves could be a small mistake. I think giving uh, Camille over could be a small mistake. Maybe dropping TF prior, maybe if if Sonny want to pick up TF, that could be really good for them as well because you can respond to plays so easily. Um, but yeah, overall, that one, I think they have no real weaknesses. They look like five fucking good individuals with a map hack, and I don't know what the counter is. Uh, unless you can, maybe, maybe if they they mess up early a little bit and you outscale them, like Sunning did against Top Esports in the first game. Like Sunning versus Top Esports, first game, they had three losing lanes, they had a Lee Sin, and then they had no Drakes. So the game was pretty lost until they scaled to a two, three items on a zero fuel, and then the Wukong carried. So, but then you also have three six nine who was completely NA chasing it up and griefing it. So, if Damon don't have someone that's making a mistake and they're actually snowballing the game properly, I just don't see how Sunny can win. Like the thing about the Damon gaming players, because I do really like Sunny and what they have shown so far, but except for so FM, who is quite interesting on his own, I feel like the Damon laners are. Similar to Sooning almost in a way, but have slightly bigger champion pool. Like Nuguri can complete. I think Nuguri does still have like that aggression carry top laner in him, and we saw that he can play Gangplank. Like you know, he can definitely, definitely play Camille. He can also play Vladimir. He's shown this so many times in the LCK. But also, he can play Lulu and Orin. And Showmaker, like, you know, we just talked about Angel's TF, but Showmaker can also play TF, as well as Joey, spectacularly well. And I think the only way that Dalmon could lose, ironically, is going back to the subject we brought up in the beginning of this podcast, is letting nerves get into their head. Because still, there are relatively young roster without someone like Deft or even Faker to kind of hold them together in like a really clutch moment. So if they step onto this huge stage and sit down and randomly drop the first game because Sofum 
decided to play, I don't know, Ramus Jungle or something and just like <laughs> get them off I can see it. Like, you're saying something silly, know, but I can see it, honestly. Off, you know oh, I mean? lovely. I can just like Ramus Jungle up and just like diving top and one minute later diving board or something and just like completely throw the game away. And Diamond Gaming feels a bit nervous. I think that's like the only scenario where I can see Diamond failing. But as Kedro mentioned, even if I think about it, if Diamond is playing on their peak form, I don't see like I I can't really penetrate a hole in their armor. I can't think of. Mm. Uh, I think I think the the only ways they have to approach this is it's either mid or jungle. It's the way they're gonna win this with Sunning. I think you uh you have to throw a curveball at them one. Maybe like start picking some Galio. Angel's Galio is pretty sick. So mm -hmm. maybe just pick pick Galio, draft a like a kindred Galio for SFM, uh, an angel, and then just play hard for mid to mid to into bottom. And then maybe you can do something. Because uh, I think if you have uh, a winning winning mid jungle matchup, especially, it's hard. And then I think Leona will probably be a uh, first rotation for both these teams. Or Prentil. All right. Oh, Leona might be Pen. Thanks. Yeah. Um, um, I need you to say some nice things about Sooning now. Well, I'm honestly, I'm excited. I know we're talking about the, the mid-jungle 2v2 and then moving that to bot. I'm really excited to see what Bin and Nuggery can do up against each other. I think that's yeah. so oh nice matchup. And if those two, like, if you take the chains off of both of them, what happens? Like, what do we get between these two? Like, I, I, honestly, hang on, I think hang on. Take the chains off. I don't think Bin has had any chains at any no, point. No, what I mean, like, no, what I mean is, like, Nuggery being on, like, Orn and stuff like this, or the, the cannons oh, and that, yeah. like, taking him on to, like, and Fiora, get that but, like, get him on to, like, these champions where he can like really go toe to toe against the two of them i think that matchup is so damn exciting and if you do a vessel fm who like usually tends to play up that way and bin does start to get to lead game one versus top esports his wukong was disgusting like the way he played that in team fights like there was one of the team fights where karisa actually tried to ult him he managed to like interrupt the ult with the w but he put the the perfect um clone down so then he ends up being taken into the enemy team he gets like two perfect knocks knock ups across the fight and it just looks incredible he kills jackie love he managed to get a triple knock up off of his clone like the the things he was doing in these fights were disgusting so i think if you do get bin ahead i definitely think that it's still a way that they can try and play out those team fights and same later on in the wukong he was getting these flashes onto jackie love after jackie love and over aggressive like bin is a monster and i think he's definitely should still be looked at as a win condition because in that game one versus top where the rest of the map was starting to get set on fire a little bin was coming out on top yeah i i can definitely see bin as a as a win condition especially as jacks i feel like <laughs> bin's jacks is probably going to be banned honestly which is a weird like banning jacks seems like a strange thing to do but at the same time like especially opening up the camille pick for that one i feel like bin's jacks almost has to just be respected at this point with how dominant he has been on that pick. I think if, if he bust, busts out Jax against Nuguri, he's going to get the Nuguri Jace treatment, and that matchup is really hard against a good Jace. Uh, I think 369's Jace was not good enough to match uh, the Jax, but if you blind pick something like Jax and they bust out the Jace, I think that's going to be rough. But if they're oh. red side and they last picks Jax into uh, into like his uh, Camille or his Orn or something, if Nuguri wants to play it, then it's really good, but I think red side is so OP. It's crazy. Every team is choosing red side. <clears throat> in the group stage, every team was choosing blue side. I think the meta evolved to the point where people were like, okay, we need last pick support or top if we're going to win this game. doesn't matter about first pick Lucian or Syndra anymore. Need last pick. So, yeah. It's so, you think whoever gets red side first wins? <laughs> whoever wins the coin toss wins. No, I'm kidding. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I think red side's so strong, and both these teams have benefited from so much, right? Uh, if they do want to first pick Camille, then you can bust out the jack. So, 
don't think they're going to do that because Nogri will watch the semi-finals and be like, oh, right, we can't blind pick Camille. So Camille might be banned most of the series. And then you've got like, what does he blind pick? Does he blind pick Cannon? Then does uh, does Bin have an answer to Cannon? I mean, Jax isn't really a good one. Uh, something like Jace would be good if he wants to pull that out, but I'm not sure if he plays that. So He plays it, yeah. Okay, well then you can give him the Jace treatment back. <laughs> I don't know. I don't like LPL Jaces. I'm not going to lie. Ashley, what were you going to say? <laughs> Biz solo queue IGN is love Camille, right? Yeah. So I'm pretty sure, yeah. Is that Lung Xing or is that Bin? I'm pretty sure it's Bin. I think it's Bin, it yeah. 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 And also, you know how at the uh, opening scene for 2020 Summer Split teaser, Nugri's portrayed as Jace, but his favorite champions are Camille and Vladimir. He was like, oh, yeah, I wanted to do Camille or Vladimir, but they thought it didn't look cool, so I went with Jace. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, his Jace is really good, too. So. Yeah, so we got two really good Camille players. So I don't know. I'm just really excited. I just hope one of them gets Camille. Hopefully Nuguri, but... <laughs> I mean, I would imagine we're going to see a reasonable amount of Camille. And also, let's just quickly consider something Kajal said earlier on in the podcast. Um Angel's a really good Galio. Galio Camille is a pretty good combo. I don't know if you guys have heard about this, but it's basically impossible to escape. The thing with Galio Camille is it was so OP until people learned that you could buy Stopwatch. And when you bought Stopwatch, it was really hard to play uh, as Galio Camille because MAD, if the game, like if you're ahead as Galio Camille, you play overside, you play like a 1 4, and then the Galio pushes in mid and then ults to the Camille side lane when she all ends the enemy top right. Uh, but the problem is, you have like champs like Senatam who can match it. You have TF now. You have Silas with TF ult. You have like all these globals that can kind of counteract it. And on top of that, people are starting to invest in stopwatches a lot. So I will say, if you're playing Galio, you don't have to play against a Silas with TF ult. That's right, almost yes. a Silas with Galio ult. Never know. Maybe that's the new meta. You know, <laughs> that's true. Yeah. <laughs> Galio support. Yeah. Um, I mean, I would love to see some Galio. Honestly, I think that's going to be a big curveball for that one. Just because the Galio is so so strong at shutting down carry junglers. Carry junglers are so hard counted by Galio. It's crazy. Yeah. I'm gonna be back in two seconds, guys. Sorry. No worries, okay. mate. All right. <clears throat> so I want to start to sort of wind up this conversation, and if you guys are all right with it, I want to go into some conversations of maybe roster swaps and things like that that we've already started to hear some rumors about, um, and then we'll maybe do a Q and A <laughs> with chat at the very end of things. So let's wind up the conversation about the World Championship Finals with some predictions, if you guys are all right with that. Yeah. Um, so I I just want to quickly say some nice things about Suning first, because I feel like this has been a very damn one favored conversation. He wants that wave of clout. <laughs> it's nothing to do with wave of clout at this point. I'm, I'm fully committed. I've like, I've basically joined the religion at this point, but um, I will say, this is a team that they their prep is next level. Like their ability to read teams and like prep for teams is truly exceptional. They did it against V5 in playoffs and everyone was like expecting V5 to win. Sooning completely upset them and it was not even that close, honestly. Like they've looked amazing across the year. Their preparation is exceptional. I think that that can be a factor. And I also think that they definitely have some ridiculous cheese up their sleeves that I cannot wait to see what it's going to be. But there is absolutely no way in my mind that this is just a normal meta best of five for the finals. I just don't ever see that happening between these two teams because 
There's no way suiting allows that to happen because I'm sure that they know that straight up in the meta, down one probably wins. But if they can throw a spanner in the works, I think suiting's got this. So I'll throw my prediction out first. 3-2 suiting is where I'm going with this one because I think it's going to be a banger. Um, I'll go this way around. We'll go clockwise. So casual, what's your prediction, mate? 3-0 sunny. 3-0? Oh, let's go casual. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's my prediction. No reasoning behind it. I'm you're, official, you're officially a bishop of the Church of Sunning. Congratulations. <laughs> yeah. no, the only bigger the crazy thing I love about Sunning is their their team icon. It's the best. I, it's a it's so angry good, isn't it? lion with a Harry Potter blue scar on its forehead. And if you don't vote for this to win, something's wrong with you. And it's like <laughs> it's like cute angry though. You know, it's like yeah. something where it's trying to be angry, but it's a little bit too adorable to be angry. Anyway, Ashley, yeah. tell us your prediction. Speaking of logos, if you flip. Damon logo on a mirror, it says now mad. <laughs> I love that so much. It's so stupid, but I love it so much. Um, like, I just want to celebrate the fact that, like, you know, Damon succeeding has so many meanings. Like, you know, in a way, Damon almost feels like a mutant in LCK. You know, they play completely, almost a different way from what we've come to expect from the LCK teams, you know. They play aggressive, you know, they play the skirmishes, um, they play, they they are creative and they know how to adapt to the meta rather than saying that, okay, we will just play what's the best for us and try to make fewer mistakes as possible. So, but at the same time, that one actually is like an embodiment of what LCK is, like, you know, finding talents from the solo queue and getting them up from the challenger's career and putting them all the way into the LCK. So... I really like that one story, but I'm going to say Sooning Series 0 because I believe in Voodoo. Oh, I'm going to say Sooning 3-0. you say Sooning 3-0? Because, because I don't want to curse that one. Okay. You know what? Okay. I'll take no, a 3-0. Right. I don't care about curses. Curse is not even real. She can have the back. She can have the back. There's no hope. There is no hope for LCK. It's going to be the LPL dominance from now on. Yeah. <laughs> We're just happy that we took, the we took the series out of G2. We can go home pretty happy with that. So. All right. Well, I don't believe in curses. So I'm just going to take that as a 3 0 CD. We take those. Dagda, where are you at, mate? Uh, I'm going to go with yourself, Munch. I'm going to go 3 2 Can't let the boys down. Got to go with them. So. Yeah, I think I'm, Bravo, I hope we're in for. I think we're going to be in for a great series, though. I don't think like either these teams are going to go off quietly. I think we're going to have an absolute banger. I think even if it's like a one-sided scoreline at the end of it, the games themselves will be like hype as yeah. fuck. Basically, I think we're gonna. There's no way. The just Sooning please, just dies no more three you know? Just no I know. Just give us a three-one at least. <laughs> um, all right. I can't believe we got four sooning predictions. That was like That's literally three. my last possible expectation. Well, but... three, three. Let's be honest. Yeah, three, three, three and a cursed sooning prediction. Yeah. <laughs> but hey, you know what? I'll take it. I'll take it. Okay, uh, if right. I had to guess, if I had to guess, I, I would have said three, three, one to down one. Okay. So that's well, the real. That's, wrong. that's the real prediction. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. So let's. Um, Let's move on with the conversation. I kind of want to talk a little bit about roster swaps, if that's okay with you guys. And well, I, <laughs> roster swaps, roster rumors, let's be realistic here. Um, and I think the only place we can really start is there's one B 
big yes, roster I am going to IG as their new support. I it's guess true. it's out of the bag, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I'd love to see it. He's got a no, mean set, let me tell you. No, you um, yeah, so let's talk Alfari, realistically. I think that's the biggest one. Him and Bjergsen retiring are the two like biggest um, things to happen in the offseason so far. And the offseason's not even started yet, but... Uh, Alfari going over to Team Liquid, getting paid over a million a year, which is pretty mental. Um, let's talk about that a little bit because I already went out on Twitter and I said, I don't think that this is retirement for him. I think that when you look at Team Liquid, the fact that they were in a group with G2 and Sooning, went three and three, like maybe he could actually have an impact. And as a player that's been on Origin impact. and has played individually really well and has still failed to make it to worlds like actually this is a ticket to worlds for alfari um where do you guys stand on this do you feel like this is just grabbing the cash and and uh setting up for retirement or do you feel like this is a real opportunity let's be honest <laughs> if any player was offered two offers i'll give you two offers okay we won't name names Okay, you want to play in Europe for 300,000 a year? Or you want to play in NA for 1 point something million a year? Hmm. Well, you could make worlds with this roster, but you might, maybe you'll make it with the with the lower salary roster. I think everyone would have taken this offer. So anyone who's saying like, uh, oh, I'm so disappointed in Alfari for taking this offer. Cringe, 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 cringe. <laughs> of course, if you were him, you would take the offer. Um, and then Team Liquid. I mean, they're a good team. They've been winning multiple championships. I'm guessing they're going to get an NA jungler, probably Santorin or something in there. And then mm -hmm. uh, they have Core JJ as well. I mean, they have Core, but they basically have a super team. Yeah. You have Alfari, EU, Jensen, EU, and then Core JJ, world champion support. So that roster was probably better than the ones and that Europe was offering. Tactical staying as well, apparently. And Tactical looked pretty amazing, honestly, even on the world stage. Yeah. And if you weigh up all the options, it's like, and you start, like Alfari, it's going to be extremely experienced for him, right? Living in a different continent, he's getting paid a shit ton of money. And he's got a fucking good team and a really good organization around him and people are going to care about him and it's a new experience. So staying in Europe in a mediocre team on a very low salary compared to what he was offered, I think uh, it kind of makes sense that he went there. So I really hate the people who are like, oh, I'm so disappointed in you because I know for a fact the person who is keyboard worrying that statement would have taken the exact same offer. I don't blame him. I can give it all. Yeah, I don't blame him at all. I think, look, uh, Core JJ, I think, is fantastic. He was best player in NA this year. I think he did really well when he got to Worlds. I think the team as a whole could do really good. Um, Alfari's a fantastic player. And, like, when you're offered that much money, you're not going to be able to say no. Like, realistically, like, and what looks like a very good team as well. Like, if it was a kind of a shit team, maybe you weighed up. But the fact that you've actually got a decent team that's been built around you, I, I can't blame the guy. I think it, yeah. it has to be said as well that Team Liquid have really started to build themselves something that, like Cage was saying, can actually really work. Like, they already showed this Worlds that I think they were the strongest NA team. Obviously, like, standings-wise, they went even with um, with FlyQuest, but I think in con in consideration of the group, I think that they were the strongest North American team. Like, I'm kind of hyped for next year's Team Liquid. Like, I'm excited to see what they can actually do. With this roster there's this serious potentially especially if the rumors are true that santorin is coming over because <laughs> santorin was one of the big reasons that flyquest did so well at worlds in the first place it's like it's like steve's like hmm you finished the same place as regular split who was your best player yeah oh, exactly <laughs> my <laughs> now hate <laughs> built by steve <laughs> no but i think in all seriousness there's a point where is a player's career there's a point where saying no would be stupid and i think the team liquid kind of passed that point and then they went 500 miles past it <laughs> and then yeah yeah, I, I can definitely agree with that. 
So um, on the other side, like, let's stick with the NA theme then. Let's talk about Bjergsen for a second because, Jesus Christ, Bjergsen not going to be playing on TSM's mid lane. That's unbelievable. Like, I still remember him replacing Reggie and it was like, oh my God, first off, Reggie's not going to be playing. Second off, they're bringing a European player over. This is crazy. And then he like instantly... The brand was about him. Instantly, he was the perfect mid laner for the team. He's got this ridiculous legacy. And he's leaving on the back of an incredible split for him, right? This was a great year in the LCS for Bjergsen. So it feels very much like... I think I saw... I don't remember who said it on Twitter, but this is a really good like swan song year for him to to finish out his his playing career. Do, Do you guys think he will finish out his playing career here? Do you think he will stick to coaching from this point on? Like, where do you guys sit in in the whole thing? Or is it just like kind of just sitting in the sadness right now? <laughs> uh, I think oh. he's probably just sticking to coaching personally. Mm-hmm. I don't see him coming back. I say once you've kind of stepped out of the... I'm like, like, there's a few players that try to like high, but they never really hit that high note again. So I think if you're going to step <laughs> nice away fun. from it, you're probably, you're probably gone. Ashley, you you look like you you're pained thinking about it. Oh no no, I just have like a really diverse facial expression. Sorry. Um, like, <laughs> <laughs> I like I don't like getting into and speaking for other people's minds, so to speak. So mm-hmm. I'm not exactly going to guess what Bjorkson is thinking. I'm just gonna quote the interview that I did with him recently. I and he said that like you know. Because usually you ask the players, what are your motivations? Because some players only dream of winning Worlds and their whole year rotates around the fact that they're building up towards Worlds. And some players just enjoy playing every week, every split, every game by game. And Bjergsen did kind of mention it was the latter for him, that he enjoys you know, playing the game and not only just the game and his own performance, but seeing the team come together and, you know, seeing the team synergy come together and building up this relationship was what he was really enjoying a lot every split. So if that is, if what I heard from the interview is true and if that perspective of League of Legends is what he enjoys the most, why not continue doing that? And also challenge himself in a coaching role where he can be more in-depth about building the team. So from what I've heard, you know, like everyone has to do what they're good at and what they're best at. So good on him. But at the same time, yeah, as a League of Legends fan, as any other League of Legends fan out there, I will miss Bjergsen. You know, I will miss his Jillians. Where do you sit, Kedril? Well, it made me really sad. Um, because when I when I first came to league in season five as a mid laner, I think I went pro in season six. He was the first person I followed on Twitter. He was the first uh, player I looked at. It was him and Faker, you know. And then it was like, damn, they're like my icons. I want to play against them one day, you know, as a mid laner, because you're like, oh, they're so fucking good. Oh my god. And then he retired, and I was just like, wait, my whole world just came crashing down on me, like uh-huh. realism, you know. It all hit me in the face like a fucking like a running into a wall, you know. I was like, oh my god, that guy, Bjergsen's retired, dude. Like. Four years ago, I looked up to him and watched his thoughts, and I thought he was one of the best mid laners in the world. And now he's just ended his career on a high note, you know. Like he just won the split of LCS. He just won the split. He won like I don't know if he got MVP, but he needed MVP for that whole performance of completely carrying his team across the finish line. And yeah, yeah his worlds was not that good, but I don't know. It was just such a shock. Uh, yeah, sad to see. Really sad to see. Yeah. 
Yeah, for sure. It's uh, it's definitely a. Uh... It's it's sad, I think, for everyone to see Pjerksen leave him. But on the similar note to Ashley, I am happy that he is finding a new way to to personally find happiness while staying in the league scene, while furthering his career. And and obviously, like I think it was a given that he was going to stay with TSM as an organization, as a part owner, and everything. Like it just makes sense to to continue furthering that organization. So I think as a being in a coaching role and maybe moving into like management eventually and that kind of thing, I think makes a, a ton of sense for him personally. So I'm still happy for Bjergsen that at least he is doing something that he wants to do. And I think this is on his terms, right? Because I think with the wit, with the, excuse me, with the year that he's had, I think this has to be on his terms. I don't think there's any way that TSM is like pushing him out because I think that he was maybe their best player this year. I also wondered like, Oh, sorry, you go first. No, 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 go for it, sorry. Yeah. I, I was just thinking about it, like, uh, how will the LCS get affected by this, right? Because for me, tuning into TSM, the, the main reason I tuned into TSM was uh, three players, Doublelift, Bjergsen, and, and uh, Broken Blade, right? I want to see those three players. I have no idea where Dude, the Doublelift's going. It, it'll be Bjergsen's fine once coming. TSM Caps is playing. Okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, like, in all seriousness, my whole, like, vision of TSM now is just dropped like I don't see TSM as like a, a top team anymore I don't really find too much interest anymore because Bjergsen's not there uh, like I thought they were like a really superstar team in NA now but without Bjergsen I'm like hmm well they're kind of boring now how does this now. work yeah how does this work I have faith yeah. though I think Bjergsen will actually make an incredibly good coach like when you listen to everyone talk about Bjergsen the way that he influences other people the way that like he's a constant positive force within a team like everyone you hear talking about Bjergsen only has positive things to say I think these are traits that are exceptionally valuable in a coach like being able to bring team spirits up obviously he's incredibly knowledgeable about the game and he'll be able to help with like micro coaching as well as macro coaching so I actually think in the grand scheme of things him in a coaching role it's not something I'd ever thought about before but it actually makes perfect sense right when you think about it from that perspective Bjergsen could be the perfect coach for TSM. Especially when he's so familiar with all the, the back-end stuff, right? He understands yeah. how to interact with everyone who's there. He's got a relationship with everyone. It makes things a heck of a lot easier. Um, but one of the things, like, kind of touching on both these stories is, like, what happens to Impact and Parth? Like, both these guys are super good at their specific roles, and I'm curious to see where they go or what happens to them as well, because they're both too highly sought after people that i imagine are gonna end up on some team and like really end up making a difference wherever they do end up it would be clg path and they'll reignite the rivalry <laughs> you know what i think they should do i think tsm should sign rookie in the shy oh <laughs> yeah oh my god <laughs> let's fucking go dude that would be something. They'd have to pay some uh, mega bucks. No wonder IG is scraping the bottom of the barrel with me. <laughs> How fun yeah. is it if you're a rookie in Shine and TSM Officer and you're just like, well, oh, we can go on holiday. That's yeah. pretty fun. Dude, think about it. Like, they wouldn't even have to learn the language because they're so, it's just so good that they just win anyway. Although, <laughs> this scenario is kind of funny because if I imagine they're coming true, if I'm, I don't know if I'm BMing. LCS by saying that, but the moment I imagine it, they are instantly holding us to bring in summer trophies. Like there is no yeah. doubt about that. Like 
<laughs> they could play without other teammates. It's fine. They do them. that anyway. I have like, in, I have infinite faith in Rookie. But at the same time, you know, Rookie has Rookie has a long term girlfriend in China and Dushai. Like, I feel like Rookie and Dushai does get a lot of freedom in terms of how they dictate the play style in IG. Yeah. So, I see very little chance of them moving anywhere and. The least the region Celsius, if I had to take this statement seriously, but yeah, <laughs> yeah, I'd agree with that. I don't know, Alfari versus the Shy, Liquid versus TSM. Oh my god, suddenly <laughs> the, the top lane in <laughs> North America is stacked. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, Scott, you have Impact, Broken Blade, the Shy, Alfari. What the fuck? Is this like... EU 2019? <laughs> the Shy's been streaming in Korea recently and he picked Ash top, Talia top. I feel like he's stopped. Oh, he's been God. winning fucking games all day. It's what? so entertaining to watch. Stop. I feel like Ashtop has got to just be terrible, right? You play against <laughs> anything with a gap close and you just die every time. But he makes Aphilius top look legit. I mean, he did a big list yeah. as well. It's just working his way through the AD carry pool. <laughs> yeah, this guy so is just an AD support. carry player that hates support players. That's he's all I'm going to say. Yumi top. Yeah. Up, Let's yeah. go. <laughs> All right. Um, so I'm going to open things up now to a bit of a Q&A with the chat. So if cool. anyone has any particular uh, roster rumors that have been announced that you want us to talk about or any questions <laughs> that you would like to ask Cadrill or Dagda or Ashley, please do chuck them in the chat now um, as we'll start to slowly but surely wrap up the conversation. Um wow. But yeah, let us know what you guys want to want us to talk about. Uh, was there any other roster changes that you guys specifically had significant thoughts about? Because obviously there's not been that many big, big roster changes. Dagda leaked that he thinks that Perks should join Fnatic. But I don't know whether there was, that was going to yeah, happen. There was a rumor about that, about uh, G2 learning, loaning Perks to Fnatic. That would be uh, something. I'm a genius! <laughs> I can't remember where I read it, but I thought like, oh boy. <laughs> Dagda said it on the last episode, and yeah. I was like, no uh, way. No, I, no, no way. I and then think... I saw that on Twitter, and I was like, surely not. Surely maybe he's I, not the Maybe prophet. I accidentally started the rumor, but either way, I, I just think <laughs> no. that Burke is just, he just looks sad in the AD carry position. He just looks like he doesn't want to be there. Yeah. Like, yeah, I think he just wants to be back mid. All right, so actually, on this topic, so Kaidox in chat has a question. Likelihood of G2 staying together after this year? Where do you guys sit on this conversation? Because it's clear no. to me that this is like caps and perks. They both want to play mid, right? I think that's a pretty evident fact. Perks mm. didn't have a good year, particularly in AD carry. Um, is there any world where that happens? Yeah, I think I think it's unlikely they stay together, to be honest. I think perks is... I mean, if you look at perks in spring, he was the best performing mid by far. And... Uh, I don't know. He was just so good. I know he 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 has it in him that he wants to play mid. Because when I watch his stream in solo queue when he's playing AD, it looks so depressing. Like he's winning bot, he gets five men dove, the game's the over. Uh, it's the same thing over and over, and it's just so boring. I don't know. That guy wants to be unleashed. He he's like I think Perks is Perks takes things personally sometimes, and he's just like if he's in a one v one, he will like. Also, like before we play against G two on stage all the time, Perks invites X back to one v one last year and just completely stomps him in one v one before we play against each other. And he always gets mental advantage. It's crazy. I think Perks is just, yeah, he's born for 1v1s on 2v2s. Hmm. But do you not think 
So do you think Caps would be happy to play Eddie Carey? No, I think so. So you think it's That's the, the problem. <laughs> so someone, someone in chat says it's confirmed that G2 will stay together for 2021, but I haven't seen any official confirmation yet. So we'll, we'll yeah, see. I... We'll see on that one. I don't know. I don't know when the contracts run out, but I think they're signed for the next few years. But I don't know if they're going to stay together. Yeah. Like I, I heard, like teams can loan away players. So yeah, and buyout clauses exist as well. Like contracts are only as binding as people want them to be in in the grand scheme of things. Um. So let's. Uh, I'm trying to think what other what other roster changes there have been that have been announced. I guess nothing has been really announced. It's all been rumors, right? But. Um. I guess Tarzan. Tarzan to the LPL, right? I was racking my brain. I was like, I know there's an LCK player that's supposed to be going to LPL, and I couldn't remember which one it was. (laughs) Do you guys... I I mean, I'm not going to lie. I don't know that much about Tarzan. I just know he's meant to be hyped. I'm excited to learn about Tarzan. I think he's really good. He's crazy good. Uh, He was a bit jailed. I think he's, he's meant to be joining LNG, right? Which is... Not the greatest team this year, let's be honest. Uh, but how much is he getting paid? <laughs> a lot. <laughs> they, I remember uh, they announced that the LPL was going to have a salary cap. And people were like, oh, this is going to be the death of the LPL. They can't just buy players anymore, blah, blah, blah. And then everyone very quickly realized that they hadn't actually announced how much the salary cap was. <laughs> and it's like, hmm, if that salary cap is 4 million US dollars, who cares? It doesn't matter. Like, let's be realistic here. Uh, yeah, we don't actually know what that is. So, uh, you know, yeah, it's it's going to be an interesting offseason. I've heard Ellen, apparently, the rumor is that LNG are like starting from scratch, though, more or less. Yeah, they dropped. Like, I know that Flandre is not going to be on LNG anymore. Yeah. Yeah, yeah we'll see. It's, it's going to be an interesting offseason, I think. Um, apparently, there's been an Astralis roster that has been. Had rumored or something, but I don't know anything about that one. Astralis supposedly signing Zanzara, uh, Jeskla, Promise Q. Uh, I haven't seen that rumor. I don't know what you guys think about that rumor. Zanzara is pretty hyped, though. It's certainly, I know Veteran is like a huge Zanzara fanboy. Um, yeah, he's always Q. looked really good in the Masters. Oh, sorry, I just have to go right Doorbell's ringing. Oh, sorry, one second. Oh, good. Oh, good. Yeah, Zan- Zanzara in it. Oh, sorry, Ashley, did you want to? No. Oh, sorry. Uh, Zan- <laughs> no, no. Really good. <laughs> really good in um, EU Masters. I was always really hyped for him. Um, he was like, everyone we talked to was like, this is the guy. Just keep your eyes on him. And he did look great. So, I mean, if he is coming on, I think it's just really good to see a lot of the talent from EU Masters now moving into LEC. Like, we end up with Mad Lions, who did look great. Um, and we've mm. seen a bunch of that talent come in. So I'm happy to see more of that budding talent move on forward. Just like we've seen in the LPL this year, like the rookie talent that is starting to come into League of Legends is stacked. So the fact we're starting to get these new players in that are that good is always great. I have to say as well, you mentioned uh, Mad Lions. Armour as well has been mentioned a couple of times in the chat. I know Shadow's technically potentially going to a... uh... LPL yeah, like, I, I think Shadow did a couple of tryouts with LPL teams because he's yeah, technically yeah. an LPL resident, isn't he? Which yes. would be interesting. He played LPL before, yeah. So we'll see on that one. I want to talk about Armut though because obviously Arome. Last episode of Babies of the Boys, Dom said that his ball sack could one v one Arome. 
Um, good one. Good one, Dom. Which is a controversial <laughs> statement, but uh, now there's a rumor that Armour is going to be the guy uh, stepping in for the Mad Lions. What did you guys think of uh, of Armour? Because honestly, it worlds. Armour looked pretty great, right? He didn't really have many bad games at all. Yeah, he was pretty damn good, I think. Uh, I mean, Solo Q has always been top 10 in Europe. Uh, yeah, he's really smurfing, I think. He's like the latest descendant in this lineage of really good aggressive Turkish top laners, right? Broken Blade, and you even put TF Blade there. <laughs> yeah, like, that's true. Trodden, yeah. yeah, like Trodden, and now it's like Armored. Like, I don't know what's up with Turkey and the border in Turkey, but they produce really good top laners, and I'll say Armored. Really aggro the top laners. Thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I could get behind that. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I didn't think about uh, TF Blade, yeah. All right, well, it seems like the conversation is uh, is drying up a little bit at this point, so I think we'll close out the show. Thank you very much for joining us. I'm just going to do one last whip around. If you guys want to let people know what is going on in your lives, what where they can check you out, like YouTube channels, Twitch channels, all that kind of stuff, uh, and then we'll close out the show. So we'll go in clockwise once again. So Kajal, then Ashley, and then Dacta, and then we'll close out the show. Uh, yeah, I'm deciding what I'm doing next year. Uh, maybe you'll see it announced soon. It hasn't been decided, but if you want to know where it's going to be announced, it'll probably be on my, on my social media. It's just at casual. That's me. Yeah. Sounds good. All right, Ashley, what are you up to right now? Um, so, uh, well, I have a Twitter. So if you want any kind of content between proper interviews with LCK players and me just like, you know, crying over photos of retired LCK players, so I don't know. <laughs> okay, just like my Twitter is like the biggest like LCK fangirl Twitter, so if you want to follow this kind of content, just go. <laughs> okay, all right. Well, if you want to follow an awesome player slash caster, it's at Cajal. If you want to follow yeah, an awesome there. interviewer that does a ton of player-related <laughs> content, follow Ashley Kang on Twitter. Obviously, the Twitters are on the screen already. Dagda, what are you up to right now? Uh, I'm going to very quickly follow up saying Kajro's got a very entertaining stream on Twitch as well. That's true. He, gets, he does he suck at Dark Souls. He smashed the Dark Souls on one stage over in China. Oh, uh, yeah. I, also... I used to come and meet you <laughs> Okay, I might have 500 deaths, but there's only one boss left now. Mate, That's I can help you. We can duo that if you, Medeer, if you need some help. I can't kill him. I can't kill him. He's too broken, this this boss. Which boss? Medir, the dragon. Oh, okay, yeah. Medir's hard. Medir's hard. Um... Okay. Mate, I can always <laughs> drop a summon sign. Anyway, we're going to round up the show. Thank hey, you. Where, oh, oh. Give me a second, dude. I thought you were done. I thought you were done. <laughs> I know. I know. Uh, also, Ashley has Kryzen, and also her YouTube channel is fantastic. I very much recommend following there. And then I'm Dagda at, on Twitter, and I'll eventually start streaming on twitch.tv slash DagdaCast. Or DagdaLPL, even. Yeah. Twitch.tv slash DagdaLPL. Yeah. Follow everyone on Twitter. That's the easiest way because we all tweet everything because we are obsessed with social media. So with that, I'm going to close out the show. Thank you very much for watching, everyone. And we'll see you next week after the finals for the sixth episode of Overs of the Boys.